You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, lesson, I would love it if you would turn to your Book of Common Prayer. I'm going to say that again because I wasn't mic'd. Before I say the gospel lesson, let's turn to page 218 in your Book of Common Prayer. And if you're watching online, you can just Google the collect for the second Sunday in Lent. So I'll wait two seconds. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate." For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Let's pray, and we're going to pray from the collect the second Sunday in Lent. 
O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if you were like Craig Smalley here, if you knew a little Latin and got a hold of a time machine, you could go back to 5th century Rome, walk into a church, and find that the prayers prayed there are almost identical to the prayers we pray in 21st century Episcopal churches. That's all to say that the colics that you see in front of you, or that you saw in front of you, have a long life. Those who talk about them often have the impression that they came from the time of the Reformation. But Thomas Cranmer, the great Archbishop of Canterbury, he merely compiled, edited, and assembled them. Most of them are pre-Reformation, and many go back to the earliest centuries of the church. But first, for those who are unfamiliar, who don't go to Episcopal churches every Sunday, what is a collect? Well, a collect, in short, is a prayer. It's a concise, meaty prayer, and it gathers the intentions of those gathered around the appointed Bible lessons for the Sunday. And the collect, and a lot of us who've been here our whole lives don't know this. I mean, I just learned this recently. The collect is the one part of the liturgy that changes every single week. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm at the end of my rope, or I just have no words left to pray, I pray the colics instead. So over the next two days, we're going to take a look at three Lenten colics, and I hope that they blow your mind as much as they have mine. So, one colic today and two tomorrow. So again, we're not going to pray it this time, but I'm going to read it one more time. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Jesus Christ, your son. My friends, if that opening line doesn't make you want to be a Christian, then I don't know what will. The brevity and profundity of it. Oh God, whose glory it is always to have mercy. Glory is equated with mercy always. When I think of glory, I think of the splendor and the majesty of the royal family in the Netflix show, The Crown. Maybe you're younger, and when you think of glory, you think of our queen, Beyonce Knowles, who, after singing Bow Down, tens of thousands of her fans are worshiping at her feet. 
More biblically, I think of the thunder and the lightning that accompanies the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Or what we read last week, what Craig preached on. I might think of the transfiguration of Jesus with the disciples falling on their knees before the radiant Christ. To me, that is glory. What I don't think about when I think about glory is mercy. I mean, really, think about it. Are you kidding me? Glory? Mercy? That's not strong. That's not impressive. What I don't think about when I think about glory is I don't think about forgiveness and grace. I don't think about the prodigal son's father accepting back his child after he wished him dead. I don't think of glory when the Lord says to each and every one of us, including you and me, despite everything, I love you anyway. And yet that's not so very different than what we hear prayed every single week. Think about it. In the prayer of humble access that we, good, right, one Christians here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, we pray it every single week. And what does it say? His property is always to have mercy. Glory being equated with mercy is not all that different than what we hear in the Gospel of John about how Jesus' hour of glory is his crucifixion. Jesus' glory being equated with mercy is not all that different from the words our Lord tells us, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so having geeked out about that opening line, what are we actually asking for in this prayer? So we begin with the attribution, right? Jesus, God, your glory is always to have mercy. What are we praying for? We're asking that God would bring those with penitent hearts to steadfast faith, to embrace and hold fast to the unchangeable truth of his word. In short, you and I are asking for steadfast faith. And isn't that what we're searching for, what we're all about in this season of Lent? We're reminded once again that our faith is not all that strong, that we are driven by the ways of our own desire. We want steadfast faith, and so we pray for it. But before I move on, I think Let's take a step back for a second. Let's look at the history of this prayer. Again, I mentioned that most of these prayers are pre-Reformation. This prayer, earliest centuries of the church. And it was originally meant for those in the ancient church who had committed egregious sins and who had been separated from the body of the faithful. And it was around Easter, during the season of Lent, that being repentant, they would be brought back into reconciliation. So even in the context of what we're asking for in this prayer, this, this prayer is about outsiders. It reminds us that God is after sinners, the unrighteous, people like you and me. 
And it highlights that the parable of the prodigal son is really about God, who shamelessly runs after his son not before he's gotten better. If you were listening closely, it's as he's rehearsing his speech about, well, you know, my father's not going to accept me back, but, you know, to work for my father, to be a slave of my father is better than eating what the pigs have to eat. Notice, the, par- the prodigal son is not even repentant. It's one step further than our collect. And yet, this Lord whose glory is always to have mercy, runs out and accepts him before he's gotten his act together. Here is a God who is embracing his sons and daughters before we're sorry. And in the process, he's healing us. And not only is he healing us, but he's bringing us into the party. Friends, are you in touch with who you really are? I'll admit, I'm probably not all that much in touch with who I really am. There's a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of blind spots in my life. But if we are in touch with who we really are, this parable and this collect are too good to be true. And yet, Christians historically have said, this is the truth we proclaim. You've all heard it before. Mike talked about investments yesterday in Ash Wednesday. Don't go after the investment option that sounds too good to be true. But in this instance, our faith, what we proclaim, sounds too good to be true, and yet it is. Now remember, the parable of the prodigal son isn't just about the younger brother. You all know this. You're all Tim Keller lovers. You know that it's actually about Two sons. There's an older, righteous brother, a Pharisee. If we read a little bit more of our text, we'd realize Jesus is delivering this to the Pharisees. The older brother is one of them. He is a Pharisee. And the Pharisee, the righteous one, the one who's got it all together, he is not so sure he wants to come to the party. This should remind us a whole lot of Jesus' saying, I have come to call not righteous, but sinners. So if you and I, and I'm establishing it this way, you and I are both the unrighteous. If you and I are invited to the party, if you and I are invited to this faith, what is this faith that we're being called into? Well, I think we can established right off the bat that it isn't the dutiful life of drudgery we associate with the older brother, but we often associate with Lent and its disciplines. According to the collect and the parable, the Christian life is an invitation to a party, which means that the life of steadfast faith that we're praying for, the life of steadfast faith is fun. And if the life of steadfast faith is not drudgery, but fun, what might that look like? Well, I'm going to let Robert Farrar Capon have the final word, and then we'll go eat.
but he writes this. On Shelter Island, where I used to live, there is an odd local custom. Every Friday evening at exactly five minutes of five, the fire siren goes off. For years, I wondered about it. What was the point? They tested the siren every day at noon, so it couldn't be that. I even asked around, but nobody seemed to know a thing about it. Then one day, it finally dawned upon me. Rather than run the risk that the festivity of the rural weekend be delayed even one minute beyond the drudgery of the working week, some gracious soul had decided to proclaim the party from the top of the firehouse. The 4.55 p.m. siren was the drinking siren, Miller time on Shelter Island. Heaven, according to Robert Farrar Capon, is Miller time. Heaven is the party in the streaming sunlight of the world's final afternoon. Heaven is when all the rednecks and the wood butchers and all the plumbers who never showed up, all the losers who never got anything right, and all the winners who just gave up on winning, simply waltz up to the bar of judgment with full pay envelopes and get down to the serious drinking that makes the new creation go round. It is a bash that has happened, that insists upon happening, and that is happening now. And by the sweetness of its cassation, it drowns out all the party poopers in the world. Heaven, in short, is fun. And if you don't like that, you can just go to, well, you'll have to use your imagination. You'll need it. Heaven is the only bar in town. My friends, the well of God's mercy never runs dry. And what that means is that the life of steadfast faith is fun. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.